Bollywood movies, we fucking know to do intermissions. They do intermissions in the theater. Martin Scorsese, okay? <laughs> Peter Jackson. If you're going to have a three-hour movie, put an intermission in there for small bladder bitches, okay? <laughs> it's ableist not to. Hello and welcome to Cleopatra. I'm Lynn Molly. And I'm Christy Bana, and this is a podcast about two Middle Eastern comedy queens who are on an expedition to dig up the funny from the first generation experience. One day we'll stop explaining that, but for the first few, we're going to keep going. Uh, I'm so excited to introduce our guest. She is a hilarious stand-up comedian based in Los Angeles and a writer. She performs regularly at the Comedy Store. Please welcome Ms. Pallavi Gunalan. Hi. Did I say it right? <laughs> Pallavi Gunalan. Gunalan. What? Okay. I got I, like. I say like Norlands, like Nolan. Nolans. You know. Gunalan. 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 Perfect. I knew it and you said it right before and then I was like, don't fuck it up. And <laughs> That's the white in all of us. Yeah. <laughs> We're all like, oh, we were, no, I'm constantly worried I'll misspell my own name in emails. You know what I mean? And that's what kind of example am I setting for everyone I else? historically leave the H off my last name, which is M-A-L-E. Lynn Male. Lynn Male. That's how like misogynistic <laughs> this society Internalized. has me to be. Right? <laughs> or maybe it's just the elucidating how unfair the binary is and how we should be able to switch whenever Ooh, we want. Ooh, I love that. That's yeah. good. Ooh, I, I advocate for um, H in parentheses <laughs> yeah like sometimes yeah. y like xy chromosomes <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. <laughs> and sometimes y yeah amazing take it away tell us about the polyvy story back in my day um <laughs> okay i am indian Okay, no applause. Um, <laughs> I was, I was considering it, but I was like, is this going to... Yikes, <laughs> only Middle Eastern when white people mistake me for it, I guess. Um, no, I'm Indian. My parents were born in India. My mom is Cindy and my dad is Tamil. So my dad was essentially in the same area that he his family is from. But my mom's family has a very interesting history. Uh, my grandfather was born in the Pakistan area before it was Pakistan. And then he moved to Afghanistan uh, and had like some sort of like, like beans and fruit and nuts company that he like built up or something. He like left to Karachi when he was like 15. Um, and he built up this big uh, this big business and he did well and he had three of his nine kids there. He had three wives in like in series, Ooh. not in parallel. Um, and his third wife had nine kids, one, one, uh, the seventh of which is my mom. Uh, but he had three of his kids there and then partition happened in 1947. Um, it's not the Beyonce one. It's the very <laughs> violent one in India and Pakistan or between India and Pakistan and millions of people died. Um, and it was really bad. And so he had to flee and we were told stories like there was like a 6 p.m. curfew and one of my uncles when he was a toddler like wandered out and he was like missing for the night because everybody closed their doors because people were killing people and stuff and then the next day they found out the neighbors had like saved him um and then the story of him fleeing is they or my my grandfather my grandmother and like the three first of kids was uh they were they had to leave and my grandfather was literally 
holding down a door that Afghani people were pulling up to like slaughter them as they were like running to get away. Um, but that's the story that's told in the family. I don't know if, how much of that is true. This is all like word of mouth. We don't fact check here. In there is also rampant Islamophobia in the Hindu families. <laughs> so who knows? Um, and then, so they went down to South India. My grandfather had apparently like abandoned this big, beautiful glass house he had had. And um, they went to South India. And then my mom's family uh, eventually moved into the house that my dad's family owned in Chennai. Um, and they were like their landlords <laughs> since they were like in fifth grade, <laughs> basically. And my mom's older sister had uh, eloped. So her father was very strict about not talking to boys. And so my mom like didn't talk to my dad. And then when they were like 17, my mom's younger sister and my dad's best friend started liking each other and throwing notes to each other and communicating through my parents. And then they drag my parents along and they'd like skip school and they'd go to like dance. And my mom would pretend her ankle was hurt because she was so shy. <laughs> and then one day my dad was like, the, the stars are shining and the moon is bright. Will you dance with me tonight? And then they fell in love. And then it became this whole thing between the families where they didn't approve and they had to fight for each other's love for seven years. And when, when my mom was 19, they sent her to the States with her brother for six months, but she secretly sent letters back to my dad and then they tried to arrange marry her to someone so she wore like the dirtiest like sorry with holes <laughs> in it and like oiled her hair all gross and then they said she was too dark for the arranged marriage groom and then finally unfortunately my mom's uh mom passed away when she was 17 her dad passed away when she was 23 so like finally her older brothers kind of like relented and I don't know what happened but basically my parents got engaged at 24 they got married my dad had his master's by then they came to the states um I was born in Lubbock Texas and so was my brother I always say it's the worst part of Texas when people are trying to guess they're like Plano and I'm like worse um <laughs> and my parents like moved around a lot while my dad was trying to finish his PhD because they had to start and stop because they like ran out of money and he got this job and then this guy fired him because he was getting his PhD and jealous and all this stuff they moved around to like Amarillo and Dallas and I think Corpus Christi and stuff but basically my brother and I were both born in Lubbock Texas and then we um moved to Utah when I was almost four and my parents still live in Utah and then I went to school and work and stuff all outside of that after I graduated high school and Utah historically not the brownest state in America. As far as I'm aware, no. <laughs> Although recently, a lot of tech companies have bought up a lot of the cheap land. And so they have their own Silicon Slope in West Valley, I believe. And so there's a ton of brown people now. Wow. And like the lady who like used to make us samosas out of her house when I was a kid now owns like five restaurants. And my wow. mom goes and watches Bollywood movies in like the movie theaters because wow. they're like shown regularly because there's so many Indian people. Amazing. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I noticed that shift in my hometown too because it's outside New York City and now it just when I was growing up it was all white and I've noticed a lot of brown and Indian families and there's nothing better than seeing brown people being bougie I yeah. just love to see it <laughs> do you hear that white people we are replacing you <laughs> be scared <laughs> that's actually the point of this podcast yeah. it's a big public it used to be hosted by two white dudes. <laughs> <laughs> and then all of a sudden. <laughs> so how was it uh, growing up in Utah? I mean, is that even like 
It was weird. It was weird because um, I'm not white. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, and also not Mormon. So there was like an intersection mm. of the weirdest kind, you know, <laughs> like how they're like intersectionalities when you're like a brown woman and also queer. But this is like the opposite where it's like you're white and Mormon or brown and Mormon or white and not Mormon, but you can't be other things. <laughs> so it's like it's it was I always felt like an outsider. I got like bullied a lot in elementary mm. school. I recently... This is like a stand-up joke I'm working on, but I recently had someone in like the summer of 2020 when everybody was like DMing their person of color token friend that they had. Um, <laughs> yeah. One of my friends from elementary school uh, messaged me and was like, yeah, this is all crazy. You know, the first time I experienced racism was when we did it to you. And I was like, I'm so sorry for the inconvenience what <laughs> it's like this is insane like that's so that crazy i don't know it was so wild definitely felt like an outsider in middle in elementary school middle school was a little bit better and then high school was like an inner city public high school so it was more diverse um but it was still like crazy amount of mormons um but i definitely had other friend groups uh so it, it felt kind of like less unsafe you know Fair. but my dance school was like mostly mormon I was like the darkest person there for a while. It was an interesting experience to like compartmentalize because I was compartmentalizing at school with a certain group of friends versus other group of mm. friends versus dance school versus my parents. So it was kind of like I just spent my whole rest of my life, including in comedy, like attempting to decompartmentalize and to kind of like unify my personality right. and figure out who I am, which I think a lot of us struggle 100%. with. Yeah. W.E.B. Dubois defines double consciousness <laughs> as, no, I know. Hey, I totally. lawyer. <laughs> wow. Wait, what kind of dance? I have to know. Uh, so my parents really wanted to put me in Bhatnatyam when I was in Lubbock, but they couldn't. The only teacher would come like once a month from a different town. So they were like, this is useless. Like, she's not going to learn anything at like three or four years old once a month. Mm -hmm. So they put me uh, in tap. Okay. Oh, um, I did tap too. So I did. My first love was tap. So you were the, uh, the only brown. How did it feel being the only person in class with rhythm? <laughs> is that oh, isolating man <laughs> yeah it was so hard actually like later on in tap like i it was like a dying art form at the time i feel like now it's got kind of like a little bit of a revival you know but at the time like when i, when I was getting older in my teens like there were so few people taking tap they just had me teach the class they were just like Ooh. just come and teach the class if you're feeling not challenged and i was like yeah i'll do this <laughs> you know so sometimes i would like substitute teach <laughs> nice. at like 16 which was wow. fun so i did tap and then i did like jazz ballet hip-hop like all of the the white styles yeah. that were available to me <laughs> in Utah. Styles. I also did like drill team, which was like a competitive dance team in high school. That was crazy. There was like this party that like one of the moms like hosted that had like drugs and alcohol, but I of course was not invited. So I did not get in trouble. I was one of like maybe six people who didn't get in trouble. <laughs> Saved by the, the dog Saved whistle. By the loser. <laughs> <laughs> Saved by being unpopular. Then you were able to move forward into your illustrious future. Uh, so Ali, after high school, where did you go? I went to Caltech for undergrad. I went to Carnegie Mellon for grad school. I worked in the Bay at Thermo Fisher as a research scientist. I got tired of that. And I did a few open mics while I was at the Bay. And then I applied for PhD programs. And I was close to going to either Case Western, Utah, or USC. I chose USC for the research program. But then I was like, thank God it's in LA. <laughs> um, and then I started doing stand-up as soon as I got here. And then I quit my PhD. PhD in 2019 
for stand-up. I'm pretty sure when I met you, you were in school. I was getting like a PhD. bringing like work to like the comedy store and like spreading it across <laughs> the belly room. Like counter. move over, Mark Marin. I, I have like <laughs> I know. I was like, get out of the way. That's I was, amazing. I was like, this will lead into my brand. People love a brand. <laughs> I was like, also, but I can't turn this in right now. I have no Wi-Fi. Help. What kind of like research was it? I'm a biomedical engineer, and so NBD. And, okay, weird. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> well, look, we're we're a highly educated, impressive bunch of ladies okay, here. Okay, reminder that I have a degree in acting and writing. So, oh, so you got a degree in the thing that you ended up doing? Wow. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's its own brag. Yeah, I do love science. Like, I still love it, and I still feel very good about it. And it was my passion, but my passion shifted. But also, it's really hard to do like two things at once, and yeah. I'm tired. So I wanted to ask, when did you have like an aha moment when you were just like, I don't want to do this anymore and I have to pursue comedy with more of my my time and energy or was it just like a slow burn? It was like probably a year and a half of me like fighting it. And then some stuff happened in my PhD program. My professors weren't happy because I was like constantly like doing comedy (laughs) Um, (laughs) and like not getting enough of my work done. And I had to like put all my like research together to kind of like show them what I had done. And then I like turned it in and I was like, I quit. It took a lot. And I had talked to my parents about it. And like I found like the email that I sent them, like making the decision more clear. And it was like so well thought out. And I was like, damn. I think I might have been more articulate before comedy. <laughs> I feel that way too. Now I'm like, bitch, yeah. please. <laughs> like, I'll do what I want. <laughs> then I was like, okay, here are all my points <laughs> of why I feel like this is what I want to do. You made like a deck for your parents. Yeah. What was the reaction? I Hassan menaged it. I made a slide. <laughs> no. I, I mean, they were like, they were definitely like nervous having to explain that you're choosing a life of instability and that you can't give them guarantees because you don't know anything is difficult. Like the questions they were asking about like how to move up and like how to, you know, get paid and all of that stuff. And then you're like, wait a minute, I don't know the answers to this. Um, We're hard, but like at the same time, my dad was supportive in a way that I didn't I, it's not that I didn't expect it, but he said, you know, there's no such thing as wasted time or experience. And the big thing that he said to me was, what do we have to do to make sure you're a successful comedian? And that oh, made me feel wow. so less alone. Yeah. Because I feel like fighting these feelings internally, similarly to like how I am with my personality and expressing myself is you think people are going to prejudge you for things. You think the things you were punished for as a kid are going to like remove you from like your family or like the friends you grew up with or whatever. And then you build up all these scenarios in your head about being isolated. And then when somebody breaks through that and is like, actually like, no, I do like love you and what you're doing. And I value what you're doing beyond the fact that just you are doing it. That Mm. makes you feel good. So, (laughs) and do they like your content? And no, Having said that, <laughs> not at all. No, I, but here's the thing. My mom is hard to communicate with about comedy. So I haven't inquired in a while. She did recently make a Twitter and then say my Twitter was crap at dinner for no reason. Um, mommy, <laughs> why don't I call more? No, um, my dad, um, I've done like 
I've spoken at, he's a civil engineer. I'm a biomedical engineer. I've spoken at more civil engineering conferences than I have biomedical engineering conferences because of comedy. Like mm. I've, and because my dad was like inaugurated as president of the American Society of Civil Engineers. Wow. So my brother and I introduced him and then uh, they had With me, a roast. <laughs> yeah, no, we had a really serious speech and then my dad fucking killed his speech. Like he was, I've never seen him so on and like in the moment, I was like, God damn, like he was killing it. Like wow. I was like, they made me do a serious one. Like I could bring <laughs> it if I wanted to. They wanted this to be all teary and shit. He'll send me like clips of jokes he finds online and he'll be like, <laughs> Look how clean this is. <laughs> so funny and so clean. And I'll be like, your favorite comedians are like Eddie Murphy and Robin Williams. What the fuck are you talking right. about? <laughs> what do you mean? You love those comics. <laughs> One of the things I, I did want to ask is, do you think that any part of being an engineer kind of facilitated or set you up in a way for being a comic or a writer? Yes. I am great at Google Drive, okay? Yeah. And a lot of the organizational shit comics are very bad at. And they're like they're like the putting loose papers in your backpack of children. You know what I mean? That's, That's so what true. most comedians are. Me, I know what color notebooks my math class is, my chemistry right. class is, you know? And I think that helped me just be like organized in terms of like booking shows, getting shows, uh getting shows at, like out of town, you know, and like communicating with people, um, just showing up when I need to show up a lot. Like a lot of the people that were in the scene when I started who did not have that shit together, maybe through no fault of their own. Some people have like undiagnosed shit or like other things they're dealing with. They had a hard time like keeping up and I don't see them as much, you know, like the people that I see really killing it are like a lot better at that stuff or have the resources to have somebody else paid to be good at that right. stuff. It's so true. I didn't realize until I really got elbow deep about how much is, is just logistics organization keeping track of like, who did you reach out to? Who haven't you, you know, yeah. following up all that stuff. And sometimes I yeah. get sad that I didn't start comedy younger, but then um, I had a 10 year career in marketing and I feel like that mm. alone has been so useful. So I feel it's okay if you start a little later and if you have other skills. If I had started younger, I would be dead. They would have <laughs> found my body outside a comedy club. <laughs> I don't know who would have done it, but it would have been one of the male comics. <laughs> yeah. yeah, probably. Yeah. It would have been bad. Like, I was thinking about that, and I was like, in two, two months into comedy, I was, like, traveling and doing comedy and co coordinating it with conferences and stuff. I, and, I like, the places I've been and the people I've been around and stuff, like, I would have died <laughs> if I was younger. <laughs> like, I was not safe. I came into it so naive, and, like, being naive and younger, whew, it would have been rough. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I was like, people are generally good. Mm. <laughs> I was like, they're not like trying to hurt me. The thing that's wild to me is the people I was so intimidated by when I started. And then and then now you're like, they're bad comics. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're, like, you're like, these people are like terrible. And the way you let them talk to you, like I let them you're give like, me oh, advice. Yeah, sure. and like literally like road comics would like be like, oh, you shouldn't say that. You should do that. Like blah, blah, blah. And I'd be like. 
okay, I don't know, maybe. And then they'd go up and just eat the biggest <laughs> shit. And you'd be like, <laughs> like, how do I um, beat like you? I, I don't, maybe they're having an off day. And it's like, no, they had an off career. <laughs> like, <laughs> I remember a male comic telling me not to wear anything with too many patterns or too flashy because then people would just be distracted by my clothing. Yeah, I haven't listened to a thing you've said. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what's your name again? I don't even remember. I can't see past the straps. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, yeah, people would tell you at the beginning, like, even, like, very successful male comedians would be like, how do you even, like, wear that and perform? Like, aren't people distracted? And I'm like, my jokes better be fucking good enough. You know what I mean? So I would wear, like, I would dress down or I would dress up, like, in full dresses or, like, you mm -hmm. know, short dresses or whatever. Just because I wanted to be able to feel comfortable and, like, move and be myself. But, like, it's crazy the stuff people are fixated on. You're like, you're worried about this, but, like, not your own career or, like, the shit that's going on in your life. Man, put your energy into something else. <laughs> Someone who really inspired me fashion-wise was Atsuko Akatsuka. Because mm. she just, she looks so great all the time. Yeah. And she has such distinct style. And I think it adds to her voice. There are people who, like, incorporate other things. And I think fashion is, like, one of those things, you know? It's always, it's always cool that people, I always appreciate it when people do it. But I'm always, like, lazy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to be better now. My boyfriend's a sneakerhead. So now I have, like, way too many shoes. <laughs> I'm like, what? I feel like mm, I do better and feel better when I'm wearing a blazer. And I have 8 million mm. blazers from my last that career. That is so funny. So That is so cool. I used to be in a, like, before comedy, I had a blazer, like, phase, I think. I was, like, all about blazers. And no one else, I wore them like jackets. And, like, no one else wore them. And I was just, like, I don't know why. This is, like, when I wore a watch in third grade. <laughs> <laughs> and I was, like, I'm late for school, mom. She's, you like, we're calling in sick today. <laughs> That's so funny. I stopped doing it for a while because anytime I wore a blazer at the Hollywood Improv, I would be wearing just the most non-professional thing with a blazer over it. I do that. Yeah, I used to do that all the time. And people would be like, did you just get back from court? <laughs> like, be yeah. like, no. Yeah, he was innocent and they, they put him away. <laughs> just something awful. Yeah, I had to wear this low-cut top to distract the jury. Uh, it was a case of an open mic comedian talking to a woman. <laughs> Open and shut. <laughs> and now it's time for our question and answer portion of the podcast. Uh, Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> Every time. one out of your pussy. <laughs> <laughs> Okie dokie. <laughs> Do time not edit it out. Your honor. Your honor. Did you pull that one out of your pussy? <laughs> Let the record reflect. She pulled it out of her pocket. <laughs> Her clothes pocket, not her other pocket. <laughs> All right. Cleopatra embraced many Egyptian customs. What is a super American custom you've adopted or a custom from your own culture that you just can't shake? Okay. I don't know if we'd call this a custom, but I am obsessed with dogs and I let them sleep in my bed. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I cuddle them and <laughs> they, I try not to kiss them, <laughs> but I try not to. it's hard. like, I, I don't like the wet on wet. Like I don't, but I'll like kiss it. You know what I mean? Um, but, uh, yeah, that's like the white, I always say that's the whitest shit about me. It's like how I treat my dogs. We're both um, brown women for dogs. Yay. So. Oh, my God. Is that an organization? <laughs> yeah, we're starting it right it now. It is yeah. now. You're the president. So. <laughs> BWFD. <laughs> 
Cleopatra and Mark Antony would wander the streets pranking innocent townspeople, which is very rude. Do you have an example of a time that you either led a prank or had a prank played on you? Okay, can you first imagine, like, Joe Biden walking around <laughs> pranking people? Like, that is, like... Uh, they, like isn't that called his presidency? <laughs> yeah, isn't that called, like, what he's doing right now? Um, so, that's, like, cra- That's such a power dynamic. That's, like, awful. <laughs> that's, like, an SNL sketch. They did it in costume, too. That's so wild. It I'm is- just imagining her in, like, a Minions outfit, but with her hat still poking out. <laughs> So you're like, that's Cleopatra. Don't be mad. <laughs> she fucked your husband as a joke. It was a goof. <laughs> they weren't actually pranking people. Everyone was just terrified and they're like, laugh, yeah. play along. I used to go to Caltech, which is like, it literally has a prank club. And they like, we there was like prank wars with MIT and all of this stuff. Um, I participated in a number of like stupid fucking pranks that took so much time and effort. The first week I was there, I just wandered down a hallway and they were filling someone's room with newspaper, like all the way up, like shaking out newspaper and filling it the entire dorm room up. And I just didn't know whose room it was. And I was like, okay. And then I just started doing it. That's how I made some of my first friends. Then there were other times. Okay. There's this one house that we would make fun of for, they were like the sport house. And so you know how like people who like play football or baseball or something, there's like homoerotic tones, but also homophobia. You know what I mean? So we would make fun of them in that way. And somebody in my house, dorm house, uh, had bought like so many like blue dildo vibrators like 800 of them or something like years ago and so there was just like boxes of them like randomly throughout our dorm because they had bought them for like 10 cents a piece they like saw the deal and just like bought them and so we (laughs) stole the hammock this like hammock from that jock house uh that they it was like there it was like the Fleming hammock and like we took it from Fleming house and then overnight we snuck into I think the physics building and we we used twine to string it up over the orange walk which is between Fleming house and the physics building and we filled it with the dildos and then we said like the name of our house been pleasuring Fleming house since 1969 and so then they had they were so upset and they had to like take it down and I was walking back from math class the next day after having not slept at all and I was watching this like really like I just wish I could describe this person to you, but like this really like at the time I felt like he was like kind of annoying or whatever, but I wa- I was watching him like try to get like people to take it down, like coordinate it. And then one of the twines snapped and it just showered dildos on him. <laughs> and I was like, these like vibrating. Dildos. And I was like, this is the most beautiful moment I've ever experienced. <laughs> Cinematic. <laughs> it was wonderful. And then there like, so there were all sorts of pranks. Um, there was, um, an off-campus, basically on-campus, hotel, fancy hotel and stuff that I had, like, waited at and, uh, like, been a server there. And uh, they always had, like, every weekend they had, like, weddings. Um, and they would have, like, like, even one time there was, like, an Indian wedding and there was, like, an elephant walking down between the dorms that was, like, they had, like, accidentally let loose or whatever. A real elephant? Like, a real, wow. like, an Indian wedding elephant, which, by the way, a lot of people in India don't do. Like, it's a very American <laughs> Indian thing to be, like, let's get an elephant. Um, but so there, there were all these weddings. So one night we knew that there was a wedding. So me two white friends and one East Asian friend crashed the wedding. Like we got dressed up and just went to the wedding and just like attended it. And 
we get in there and I was like, oh no, because it was half white and half East Asian and I was the only brown person. <laughs> so people were like, who do you know? And I couldn't oh. be like the whites or the East Asians. <laughs> and then like at some point we were all like circled up um, because it was like the reception, everybody, we were all dancing and having fun. And then they it got to like, a song like somewhere over the rainbow or something. And it was like, everybody was like huddled in like a circle. And I was like, this feels like it's in memory of someone. And I have to get out of here. <laughs> like, I gotta go. <laughs> so we left, but it was fun. <laughs> you don't know, have to know who they are. To we don't have to them, know. Yeah. You know? Next question. Cleopatra and Mark Antony had their own drinking club called inimitable livers where they'd go on wine binges and have feasts. Tell us about a club you started or belong to or currently belong to. Or, alternatively, tell us about your own inimitable liver. I, in high school, started a Daisy club. Yes, you did. Yes, I did. You are the only member? No. <laughs> <laughs> we had... Okay, so my plan for my Daisy club was that it would be Bollywood movies and snacks. And then we danced at, like, the the dance, the talent show or dance show or whatever that year. And it was really cool. Um, but we, uh, so we would just like my, I had to get a advisor to like host the club, like a teacher advisor. So I got my European history teacher, the whitest lady to like out of guilt to host this club. And then we were watching, like we would watch like Bollywood movies and just like eat samosas and and, like bring snacks from home and just chill in like the fucking desks. We're watching Bollywood movies in those high school desks after school. So it'd be like a three hour club. Um, But then one time, Oh my God, I forget what movie it was, but it was with, um, uh, it was with Shah Rukh Khan and like, like it was, I think it was one of the first movies we watched and it was like about these two like couples and they wanted to cheat and there was like S&M or BDSM involved. There was like leather involved. <laughs> oh, wow. And I was like, Bollywood, before this, I was like, Bollywood movies are so innocent. Like they don't kiss, they don't do anything, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And then I was like, oh, it's going to be fine. And she was like, okay. And then I showed that one because like <laughs> none of us had seen it. And I was like, I am so sorry. Of course, you <laughs> it was like the one so X rated. Yeah, it was like so much more sexual than other Bollywood movies. But it was really funny to watch um, a tight lipped white woman's lips get even tighter. You know what I mean? She was just like, <laughs> it's okay. Everyone needs to learn about BDSM at some point. Yeah. In life. Now or never. Yeah, the Kama Sutra is our culture. So. <laughs> I like that. And then at the end, you're like, it's for the culture, actually. And how many people were in the club? It was actually a good number of people. Like there were um, there were like I don't remember how many. I know we had like probably like six or seven people dancing. But like a lot of like the Somalian girls, I think, Mm -hmm. came to the club because they like uh, there were like Somalian refugees at my school. And Bollywood was big there. Bollywood was big in Germany. But like there were so many people who like liked seeing Bollywood movies so we like invited them to like come watch and also like my school was like so dumb in some ways like we had an Asian club for all Asians and like a white guy was a secretary like (laughs) people were like this is funny (laughs) like so you know it was kind of just like whoever wanted to come and hang out but were there any like white men who are just there because they're weird fetishizers I don't remember in high school. I probably couldn't clock it as much. Also, like, I feel like growing up in Utah, like, there 
there weren't like fetishizers like there are out here. Like the, people just outright like said we were like gross or you know what I mean. Yeah. Like it wasn't like oh like I'm sexualizing you. It's like I'm desexualizing you if you're not a certain type of brown or mm. something. You know what I mean. Um, so I experienced that more than I experienced people being like, yeah, let's like hang out. <laughs> like nobody was doing that to me. <laughs> nope. As they hopefully shouldn't. Uh, yeah. But, but I did have that weird experience where in high school it was like men wouldn't look at me. They wouldn't want anything to do with me. And then suddenly I got to college and there was this weird like Orientalism situation going on. And it was just like, er, like how did this just yeah. pivot so quickly? Yeah, I feel like people maybe like leaving home and like leaving their families like made them feel like more rebellious but they wanted to do it in like what they considered safe ways yeah. which was still like them being in the top of like a power structure in this case sexually so that's probably why it like switched up in college or like as they became older wow this got deep and Ooh. scary yeah i'm like that sounds like a phd for an <laughs> ethnographer <laughs> It's amazing. That's what, like, honestly, like, at a lot of our first facial rec shows, it was creepy white dudes that kept them going. So it <laughs> doesn't shock me one bit. Yeah. Give us your money. We were like, yeah, buy tickets. And then, like, there's got to be pictures of me out there with, like, a 60-year-old, like, just being like, hi, thank you for coming to the show. <laughs> like, oh, man. Yeah, it was weird. I'm like, where, who in your life, where are they? <laughs> where are the people in your lives? There were a lot of like white people at our last show, but we were like, that's great. Like they were all down for it. We were like, we talked to like a lot of brown people to try to get them to come to the show to like, you know, pack it out and stuff and have it be like a big community thing. But there were like a lot of white people who were like, we don't know how you got the invite, but we're glad you're here. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I love that though, because I think anything, we were talking about this earlier, that anything that kind of makes people aware that brown people doing comedy isn't necessarily niche. Yeah. Or, or, you know, that like it's everybody like, can enjoy it. Exactly. Yeah. Or it doesn't have to be all the time about being brown, but if it is, it's still accessible. It's still like relatable. Um, you can still laugh. I, yeah, I think that that's like one of the most exciting things about seeing how like you've done your show and like people in New York have expanded their shows and stuff. Mm -hmm. And also just I've been leaning into like the South Asian or like brown community a lot more and like seeing like other queer people, like seeing South Asian drag kings and queens like that was like so amazing for me and like heartwarming and to be a, a part of that a lot more recently. I've been like really trying to put a lot of effort into like supporting people and going to going to even like plays or, you know, other things that people are in um, just to to try and reconnect. I've met like a lot of like South Asian dancers and models and like I got to host L.A. India Fashion Week last Ooh. week. Yeah. And they How dressed me up. I'm going to post about it. But like it was awesome. Like I met all of I, it was like all of these vendors of like different like jewelry and and dresses and, and hand like crafted shoes and like all of these things and it just like I don't know it just felt so good to be around a community like that and that community like there are a lot of people who were like friends in that community for a really long time and like grew up together had been doing LA India Fashion Week for like 10 years you know so it just felt like an honor to like be able to like host it and become a part of it um and it was very cool to see people in their 20s and 30s becoming fashion designers that put together um you know American fashion with Indian fashion there's this uh, girl Akasha and she runs a, a fashion line called Namaste <laughs> Love it. and it's like 
sexy fucking fits, but with like Indian mm-hmm. inspiration or like South Asian inspiration. So it was, I don't know. It was just like, it's just cool to see how like, you know, we're like owning stuff and it's not in a cringe way. Mm-hmm. It's not in a like, it's in a really like authentic way, but we're also like combining it with what we know from growing up here. Um, so I don't know. It's just been like really fun to like see all of this growth in like other fields here. I love that so much. Yeah. I think we're experiencing a lot of that in the Middle Eastern community too. It's really cool to have a community when so many of us grew up without one really. Yeah. It's awesome. I would have been in the Desi Club for sure. Yay! <laughs> I, I love a Bollywood movie, Thank so you. ha- you'll have to, we'll put the uh, name of that BDSM <laughs> one in the show notes. <laughs> I started showing my boyfriend Bollywood movies, and he's like super into musicals and like theater. He's an actor, and he, I was like, you're going to love this, you're going to love this, and then he started watching it, and he, was, he like absolutely did love it, and, but he was like into it. He was like, come on, my guy, get her! Like, go get your girl! <laughs> Like, it was, like, so into it. And we, of course, took several times to watch it because it was so long and we were very old and tired. (laughs) Several intermissions. Yeah. But that's what I will say about, like, Bollywood movies. We fucking know to do intermissions. They do intermissions in the theater. Martin Scorsese, okay? (laughs) Peter Jackson. If you're going to have a three-hour movie, put an intermission in there for small bladder bitches, okay? (laughs) It's ableist not to, all right? It's so rude. I'm like, if you're going to take from us and do that, then put like, let us go pee. I don't want to miss your movie. Yeah. It's good for all of us. I think that, yeah, the only movie I've seen that had a built-in intermission at the theater was Lawrence of Arabia. You saw that in, in the theater? You are I am 73. <laughs> I was going to say. When did you see that? Okay, for the record, it she, was like at like the New Art or the it. New Wilshire. She I, was in I the was history in of the cast and crew. You played Lawrence and Arabia. Yeah. I was Omar Sharif. Famously, that was my other uh, identity. Before lawyering, she was Omar Sharif. This is my fifth act, you guys, all right? Comedy, so. Wow, brown great. girls don't age. I know. <laughs> There's also, I wanted to shout out my friend Shilpa Sadagopan and like all these other people who are doing like Hindi, Tamil, English mashups. Have you seen like on TikTok? Like the music scene is so oh, cool. Nice. Yeah. It's so sick. Like they're, it's amazing what people are doing. I like, I really appreciate the music of it too because like, I don't speak the languages. I don't know if you, do you guys speak? No. No. And like, I want to connect with like, at least hearing it verbally. And so like having like music that's like fun to listen to yeah. that like, it gets the beat going and stuff. That's so fun. I love what people are doing on like on TikTok and Instagram and stuff. So another question we have is that Cleopatra was a known seductress. Do you have any stock pickup lines or meet cutes? Alternatively, what's the best or worst pickup line that anyone has ever used on you? A white dude and I were talking about how white he was. And then <laughs> he it, was a, it. it was a discussion in okay. which I had a voice. So <laughs> I was telling him. And then later he was drunk and he was like, because <laughs> people used to call me Paul in college. He was like, Polly want a cracker? <laughs> he had like saltines. He was like, I was like, okay. And then we dated for a month. Um. <laughs> oh, okay. But, but it was a double entendre because he's white and he had and saltines. And he had saltines. Okay. Yeah. I like that there is a world in which white 
men are just walking around carrying saltines. Like that is not even. An I think that's like their. You know how like <laughs> Hillary Clinton claimed to have hot sauce in her bag. <laughs> <laughs> I think all men walk around with saltines in their wallets. <laughs> right. Instead of their condoms, that square <laughs> is like, not oh, a no, condom. It's it a saltine. <laughs> yeah, that square in their wallet is a saltine. It's not a condom. It's an emergency saltine. The next question. Mm. Cleopatra was a queen of luxury. Mm-hmm. So what is one bougie item you can't live without? Okay, I'm not a sneakerhead, but I've recently been buying more shoes. And it's not something I can't live without, but it's something that like is my world is like opening up. You know what I mean? I'm like Oh my god! Like you can like ha- you can like have an outfit together and then you look down and it doesn't crumble. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I'm like shocked. So I'm trying to like do that more. Um, but yeah, I like I've I've bought a lot more shoes since I've been with my boyfriend. <laughs> I kind of love that. It's He's an enabler. He is. He loves he loves me treating myself and taking care of myself, and he loves doing that for me too. So that's like nice because I'm always like I, I don't know if you guys feel this way, but I'm always like. Oh, the easiest solution isn't the one that I can do. I'm going to do this other solution that just like saves five cents and is like very, very difficult and like makes me miserable for like a year. (laughs) You know, like that's like how like the mental thing of like spending on myself versus Mm -hmm. just like making my life easier and being happier. Like, for example, I have a hard time like working out and stuff. And the solution that my therapist and I like I agonized over, but my therapist and I came to the conclusion to do was to join the fancy gym that's near my apartment that makes me feel good. And I like put it off for so long and then I finally did it. And I'm like, I want to live at this gym. Yeah. It's like a spa. I, I love it. I did the same exact yeah. thing. As did I. Yes, ladies. Yes. <laughs> my big move now is no more layovers. I'm not doing a layover <gasps> across the country. That's I'm a amazing. woman in my 30s and I'm not doing a layover to get to New York. Fuck you, Colorado. (laughs) Get out of here, Denver. Ms. Chicago O'Hare, if that is your real name. I don't know. I'll never see her again. I do like that the Chicago O'Hare airport has rocking chairs. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. I do like discovering like little fun things in the airports. Like, or like, I just will sit there and like look at the art that no one else is looking at. And I'm like, wow, (laughs) this is a whole person's life. The Oakland airport has some good art. And I was like, they have some good bathrooms too. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Terminal number one, uh, where Southwest is, they just completely revamped it like within the last couple of years. And it's, it's the most luxurious airport we host our podcast there now. <laughs> we're actually currently in <laughs> southwest terminal right now in and one stall of the restroom <laughs> <laughs> they have a recording studio yeah. that that's the next wave that's such a bay area thing where they're like in this airport has a podcast studio <laughs> oh my god they would do that yeah oh silicon valley <laughs> who did who, angel invested in this airport <laughs> podcast studio slash bathroom <laughs> I want to shake his hand. (laughs) It is Elon Musk. (laughs) Cleopatra viewed herself as a living goddess. Tell us about a time you felt almost supernatural or a weird, random, useless skill you have. The Beyonce concert. Mm. Okay. (laughs) I had my whole ass out. My whole (laughs) ass was out. And I've never done that before. Like I went and I got like 
the shimmery thing and, and I had like this skirt but it was see-through and I just wore like a thong underneath and I was like I can't believe my ass is out right now I feel out of body my boyfriend was like you look so good and I was like I don't know what's happening and then we had to like park further away from the theater we like were walking and then there were all these women who were just like leaning out of their cars being like you look good girl yeah. Yeah. you look amazing I see that ass and I was just like oh my god and it's like a Beyonce concert and to be like hyped up by like black women at a Beyonce concert you're just like I love you guys worth every penny yeah, yeah. did your ass make it on Instagram I did not post I'll show you the ass pics <laughs> after but I posted like a side pic of it so you could see that my ass was out but you couldn't see the full ass perfect um and it's my lo- most liked picture <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like thank god that I tracks. just want to be I don't give a fuck about my personality or how funny I am I just want to be loved for being hot like that is what I want most more than anything in the world and so for people to do that thank you so much thank you to my fans thank you to creepy white men thank you to Melrose for having the shops that had that see-through outfit um thank you to my my boyfriend for holding my butt all night um just thank you Beyonce you're beautiful we reserved the, the last half hour just for your your credits. Yeah. <laughs> and like, and then it goes in memoriam. You're <laughs> like, what the that fuck? ass? Yes. And now it is time for a segment called Dig Deep. We know that uh, Elizabeth Taylor famously played Cleopatra um, in the 1963 film. We want to know if your life were a crossover episode of two films or TV shows. What would they be, and who would play you? Okay. So this one, it's got to be Never Have I Ever, because I'm an Indian girl with an English yes. favorite show. Um, and then this is going to be fucked up <laughs> because I don't like this show. <laughs> but it's going to be like Big Bang Theory or something, because it's like that is based on Caltech and nerds and stereotypes and whatever. And also my dad's like, every time I see that show, it reminds me of you. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> So it would have to be like something sciencey. Also, Breaking Bad because he also went to Caltech in that show, um, and oh, he made drugs and stuff. And I also do illegal things sometimes. Um, <laughs> you're supposed to say cut that out. Okay, um, <laughs> we're keeping it in. No. Um, and uh, so it'd be something like that where it's like Indian girl trying to figure her life out, but also science shit. And yeah, I I'd watch that. Yeah, that actually yeah. sounds amazing. Okay, well, here's my pilot. Yeah, <laughs> it's under the cushion. It's like Everywhere you go, 5, pages. <laughs> you keep three copies in your yeah. glove compartment because you get pulled over by, <laughs> cop. by cops. I'm like, you guys got connections in this town, right? <laughs> you they run this city. Immediately mace me. <laughs> They're like, no, not another actor writer. Hyphenate, multi-hyphenate. I mean, a mugshot is is just a photo shoot, ladies. Everyone knows. <laughs> Mugshotties. I'm going to get on mugshotties. <laughs> Who would play you? Who would play me? Caitlin Olsen. The, the, yes. the lady who plays D from yeah, Always Sunny, Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Yeah, mm-hmm. I feel like we share like a lot of like physicality. And my friends, before I did comedy, they said I that she, like, reminded them of me. And so I feel like she would be really fun to play me. But I also, that would be me casting a white woman in my... I'm sure <laughs> you'd green light the brown face and it would yeah. just be <laughs> all... Caitlin Olsen <laughs> in brown face as me. I think it would be okay to clone, like, or, like, 
yes. genetically produce a combo of her and an Indian person in order yeah. to create you. That's what I've been working on. That's actually what I've been working on. <laughs> <laughs> it's like another yeah, weird crying baby that's all mangled <laughs> and messed up. Move over AI. Tufts of that was the illegal hair. shit she was talking yeah. about that she works on in the lab. They don't even have laws for this yet. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. They do. They very much do. <laughs> we can have plum cots. I think we can have. Yeah, a, a person is a plum cot if you really think about it. <laughs> I don't think that whoever plays you has to be your same, you know, gender or ethnicity. What about you? Uh, you know what? I'll have to get back to you on that. I really don't know. I've never had like a celebrity lookalike or anything. And I think a lot of that just comes down to. But I feel like it's energy, right? Like I've, I've been given Lisa Kudrow before. And oh, I, do like her quite I can a see bit. that. Yeah. yeah. She's a funny, funny She's lady. Dope. Yeah. Wow. And we then, really need more brown stars. I know. <laughs> we do. We'll take Lisa Kudrow and mix her with Rami's sister. And then. I love Rami's sister. Yeah. She's so cute. She's she's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Emerson the, on College the graduate. I'm May sure. May Kanemawi. I think that that feels right. Nice, nice, nice. Brown stars. <laughs> Brown stars. <laughs> so much better than gold stars. <laughs> That's what we would get on our report oh, cards. We should get some round stars for all our guests. People <laughs> we are like, why why are these filled with anuses? <laughs> oh okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Edit that in. <laughs> Edit the anuses in. Add reverb. Producer, <laughs> if you're not racist, edit the anuses in. Edit that in is so funny. <laughs> oh my God. Put a graphic. <laughs> the final dig deep question is, as you know, that Cleopatra had a storied legacy. Uh, what do you want to be your legacy? Or what would you like to be remembered for? Alternatively, what is your headstone going to read? My headstone is going to read, do better. <laughs> My headstone is going to read, do better, because I think people should do better. And I think people should care about each other more and care about their communities and like expect more of people and have higher standards while being understanding and like trying to like communicate more. But I feel like people are so caught up in like their own worlds that they don't even think about like, how to like help people around them that are like suffering or like across the world that are suffering or whatever. They're just like, ah, throw up my hands, not do anything, walk past people to go to work, you know? And, or they think that however they're spending their time or their money is going to in 10 or 20 years pay off so they can help everybody. And it's like, no, people are like dying now. Things are happening right now. So fucking do better. I like that. <laughs> A little, clap. A, little a little clap, little clap for that. For my like little soap soap stand. What is it? Soapbox, soapbox, soap <laughs> stands. I like any headstone that also doubles as a critique of whoever's digging your grave. Yeah. <laughs> First of all, you should do better because you should know I'm cremated, bitch. <laughs> okay. <laughs> do better. Find my ashes. Spread them. I need peace. Okay. <laughs> Where are we taking the ashes? You know what? I want some of my ashes to go on a comedy stage where I bombed the hardest. <laughs> just so I can die, die twice, twice there. <laughs> Amazing. And then, you know, I'm just going to I'm going to I'm going to make my ashes into jewelry and force people to wear it. Just like my mom bought jewelry for me. <laughs> 
I want my ashes to be uh, like instead of a tahine rim on a margarita, oh, just oh. <laughs> yeah. So at my funeral, everyone will be well, able to also crispy. partake. Yeah, yum yum. The Christini. <laughs> so really stupid. Good. That's so really stupid. Good. I will also say, do better also applies to brown women too, because we're always like, I need to do better, and so that I feel like defines a lot of our life <laughs> of like, right. oh fuck, I gotta do more things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that absolutely tracks. Because if you are the child of an immigrant, you have already been ingrained to know that better exists, even and hypothetically. Yeah. 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 For the record, Ahmed Al-Qadri's um, legacy he wanted was all his babies with women of different ethnicities. <laughs> Do better, Ahmed Al-Qadri. <laughs> Do fucking better, okay? He had like an Elon Musk-esque type uh, <laughs> legacy there. He's just like, I just want the world to be filled with little Ahmeds. That's how you know he grew up in an all-Muslim school. <laughs> he didn't suffer as a kid. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I'm just going to fuck my way out of this world. Right. <laughs> Meanwhile, you're like, I will have two words on my headstone and that is it. That's all and this if, face if I you don't take. mind. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, the three of us who grew up like feeling out of place are like, no, 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 don't worry. Our bloodline will end with us. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, will everyone adopt a dog at my funeral? <laughs> <laughs> I've actually wanted that since I was a kid. I'm like, if I die, <laughs> everybody has to have puppies. <laughs> That's oh, so good. I also was like, I don't know why, but I think it's just because I love dogs. But I also was like, I don't want an engagement ring. I want an engagement puppy. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm just like, I just want a pup, but like a dog for everything. It's <laughs> true. Yeah. Just give a lot of very uh, unwilling party favors. You're like, by the way, here, take yeah. the puppy. <laughs> it was my last wish. You have to treat it like your child. <laughs> At your wedding, instead of flower arrangements, you can have big puppy centerpieces. Like pup- every, all the bridesmaids are holding puppies. <laughs> They're just like, or like, you know those like Ann Geedy's like puppies and babies dressed up yeah, with like yeah. flower head pieces. They're just holding puppies with the flowers, yeah. and it's that like could a also. <laughs> We've had like eighteen business ideas in the in the last hour. Yeah. Oh my god, it's pretty cool. Can't wait for a white guy to steal this. <laughs> Somebody's trademarking it as we speak, trying to beat us to the fucking USPTO. Uh, producer, edit in the businesses. <laughs> you edit them in thank you she gave us a thumbs up question mark question mark question mark dollar signs (laughs) (laughs) equals profit yeah i love it i can't thank you enough for coming you're such a goddamn delight palavi you guys are amazing we love having you we want to know uh what would you like to promote or plug um to the listeners and viewers yes uh facial recognition comedy at the comedy store monthly we're usually on the third tuesdays of the month at 8 p.m at the belly room just check the site at facial recognition comedy um on instagram and everything and then also just me on my socials because i'm trying to do like more half hours more hours like headlining all across different venues across the country so check it out that has been our podcast i've been christy bonna i'm lynn molly and I'm Paula Viganalin. We really appreciate you watching. Please like, rate, subscribe, and follow us on socials. Until next time, Cleopatra. <laughs> Y'all should get like a snake hiss for the outro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, at the end, and then just, oh my God, that's. <laughs> wow.